earrings for you. And they look cute. You, know, you, you got ready. Most people are like, shit, I didn't even put on makeup. I'm really impressed. Good job, you. I will, I will leave the structure to you. I have so much to say about my many, many service jobs over the Can't years. Can't wait. So. Okay, that's great. Yeah. All it's right. It's a long and torrid affair. <laughs> You're the only artist in the history of art that that has ever been true for. Yeah, yeah I'm the only so, one. Mm-hmm. Everyone else only um, performs for money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Incredible. Oh, hi, you're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all the good, bad and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, comic, actor, writer, and dancer, Kirsten O'Brien, whose spirit animal is Elizabeth Berkley's character on Showgirls, if it were a self-aware comedy, which some people would argue it was. Kirsten performs stand-up all over New York City and is the other half of the wildly successful The Boss Bitch Show, a show that is now becoming a podcast for your ears. If you don't catch her live and in person in New York, you can also catch that podcast, which we will have details for at the end of the show. Or you can see her live and in person as a sketch performer on the UCB-born show The New York Cheeks or The NY Cheeks. It's probably NY Cheeks because that's how it was written. I'm an asshole. I better know Kirsten from meeting her right now in real time on the podcast as we speak because she's a great publicist and she's a great vibe and we're, we're just really going for it. And she has a great history with customer service. So... Kirsten, tell us, like, what got you into comedy? How are you handling the whirlwind of all of everything that's happening for you? Congrats. Tell us all the things. Oh, my God. Well, I just want to say, first of all, Kate, Mm -hmm. from a service perspective, that was one of the best intros I've ever had. (laughs) You're so sweet. Truly, it was like you... You in, you investigated the guests. I did. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like a high-end hotel. I felt like I was checking in. I felt like I was checking in at the Ritz-Carlton. Like they said my name right. They knew where I was coming from. Um, You're so sweet. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That was... Thank you. Thank you for that. Because sometimes it's Kristen O'Brien oh, no. at the bad bitch. Oh. You know, whatever. Like, Yeah. So, well, this wasn't that, of course. I really appreciate that. Well, the whirlwind, it is quite a whirlwind, world, whirlwind. That's, that's how my brain feels right now. (laughs) I cannot pronounce the word whirlwind. Um, Yeah. Wow. It's, it's uh, crazy times at Ridgemont High. Uh, We have our live show. We have our live show tonight, which, you know, for the listeners, whenever this launches, it is the second Thursday of the month in New York City uh, at the Comedy Shop. So we have that. We just got back from, we did some shows in Provincetown, Massachusetts, which was really fun. I'll bet. And uh, yeah, next month we are launching the podcast. So I'm an insane person. Yeah. You, it's, right. And being on tour, you said, so you're doing the podcast. You still have your, you have multiple live shows and you're just on tour. So what is it that makes you so insanely dedicated to comedy? Because that's a hustle and you're doing it. Ooh, it is a hustle, you know, and I feel like in the grand scheme of like comedian hustlers, like I'm not even like up there. Like I'm not even, I don't even rank. You know what I mean? Bless. Like in terms of like people that are doing shows like every single night, multiple shows a night, like 
I will say in order to keep my sanity, I'm more of a quality over quantity person. Me too. And I think that that has saved me. I have been very uh, selective in the shows that I do. And I've been very lucky that the comedians and producers that I really vibe with and I vibe with their intentions with their shows and the, the spaces that they have created, like I, I'm very lucky that they have allowed me to be on their shows. So yeah, like it's it's funny because it's like the hustle and then I'm, I meet comedians all the time that are like, who are you? Oh, that sucks. <laughs> okay. It's just the way it is, I guess. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's all good. And I have my hands in a lot of cookie jars. You were correct. The New York Cheeks is how they say it. That used to be a team that I perform with, which, you know, that's like a whole thing. Used to be, doesn't exist anymore in New York City. So it's yeah. like, it's such a strange, the pandemic, literally, I equate it to like, you know, when you can't find something and you just get so frustrated, you empty out your purse. <laughs> like, I feel like the pandemic was just like, we emptied out our purse on the bed. And we I, were like, fuck it, I'm going to find it. I love that. So, so did you, in the pandemic, were you like, I'm reevaluating comedy or what I want to be doing or putting my time towards? Yeah, I mean, I think we all did, you know, like at that time I had... I think in like, maybe it was, it's hard to time is like a, a cloud. You know what I mean? I think in like 2018, 2019, I was doing more stand up, And then um, I was also doing sketch comedy. I was on a team at the People's Improv Theater, The Pit. And we were doing shows there. But I was also still producing a show, a stand up show at The Pit, a weekly. And then I got more into sketch. And then I ended up getting on a UCB mod team. And, you know, that was such a huge goal for me for years. And I got on a team. Um, we started in January 2020. <laughs> oh, my God. That's brutal. Isn't that, isn't that brutal? Uh, for the listeners, UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade, uh, which is a longstanding um, sketch and improv theater, uh, which have been in New York City for 20 years, they pulled their plug on their New York City theater and school and space. And um, so, yeah, I got on a team which had been like, oh, my God, I had like submitted for years and years. And I finally got an audition and I finally like slayed the audition and felt so good about it. Got on a team. We had uh, January, February, we had two shows. We had two oh. shows. And then I remember... We were rehearsing for the March show, which was supposed to be, I think it was supposed to be like March 17th or something, something around St. Patrick's Day. And um, and I remember getting out of rehearsal and, you know, all the crazy stuff like was happening and like, you know, the news was buzzing and it was like, what the fuck is going on? And I remember turning to my sketch teammates and our, our director and being like, you guys know we're not doing a show, right? Like that's not happening. Like they are not putting 200 people in a theater right now. Like that's not going to happen. And like everyone laughed at me and then I was like, I'm so sorry. I was right. <laughs> like, yeah. So, you know, that happened and Rachel Green and I uh, knew each other through stand up. And, you know, for most of the pandemic, I know a lot of creative people, especially stand ups, like, kind of hit that zoom show hustle and they were like on it and they were just like 
you know, just found a new groove and felt really creative and were writing a lot and producing a lot of online content and like, bless. (laughs) And I have to say for a very good chunk of the pandemic, basically from like March, 2020 to October, 2020, I didn't do anything. I did nothing creative, you know, and it was, I didn't think anything was funny. I just didn't think it was funny. I didn't want to make it funny. I didn't want to, I just felt like the things that were happening in the world, like as a comedian, I, I didn't, I didn't want to make people laugh about it. It wasn't funny to me, you know? And I felt like that was like a, a real human reaction. Like I even get like emotional thinking about it because it just was like, no, I'm not here to be like your jester and make you laugh about what's going on. This isn't funny. Like, and I was, it took a really long time for me to like find the funny again. And it was, um, and you know, the thing, and that was like sort of the beauty of stand up is that all you need is a mic and a light, you know, and, uh, and a captive audience, you know? So that was like, I felt like stand up of all of the, um, creative arts was the first thing to come back because it was so easy to produce and you could do it outside and people were doing rooftop shows at tiny cupboard and shows in central park. And like people were making it work. They were doing outdoor shows, you know, at the outdoor spaces at comedy clubs and cafes. And, and that was the first show I did back was Rachel's uh, show that she used to produce called Venus Flytrap. And we did it on the roof of the tiny cupboard. And it was the first time I did stand up in like, it had to at least been like a year, maybe two years, because oh, wow. I had been doing sketch a lot. And and then her and I were like, well, we should produce something together. You know, um, we're very aligned uh, comedically, you know, a lot of our, our content and, and uh, material is sex positive and feminist and... Uh, you know, as you might know about the the comedy community, you know, it's very um, white, cis, male what? dominated. Wait. I know. Pause. I know. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's the first time I've heard what? that. <laughs> and so, you know, it was really, we felt very empowered in, in creating a space for for female identifying people, for LGBTQIA plus and um, POC comedians. And not only to create a space for the comedians, but a space for New York City's diverse audiences. Like I find it so interesting that you can go to a, to a comedy show in New York City, like a typical stand-up show, and the audience is from all over the world. Like you have such a diverse audience. New York City, New York City's residents are so diverse. And so you have this incredibly diverse audience and then a, a lineup of all white cis straight males. It's like, it's it's a disservice to the show because they, they can't relate. What a, and we need diverse lineups. Yeah, to, it's, to, yeah, you're right. And I don't, it's interesting. You're the first person to ever mention it from the audience perspective that I've ever heard, even on my podcast really? or anybody's podcast. I've never heard it said like that. And that is, oh. what a great perspective because that is who you're catering towards. And I think- yes. You know, we it's why, you know, back when All in the Family was on and there were, you know, that there were people of color on that show or they were not All in the Family. What's the name of the show? 
Oh, I can't think of it. The the first time that there was like a family of color on television and so think, many. Well, there's the Jeffersons. Jeffersons. Thank was, you. Think, Jeffersons. Yeah. yeah. And they, mm-hmm. people mentioning like, oh, that was the first time I saw myself on TV. It's like, I think that people misinterpret crowds going to see a bunch of cis white men thinking, well, that must be what people want. It's like, no, that's what's available. It'd be way better for them to see themselves on stage. Right. And it's like, and, and that it's funny because that being available is just gatekeeping. Yep. And I think like, and I know so many, you know, I'm not here to like shit on all white cis straight male uh, comedians. I'm certainly not. I know a lot of uh, amazing. Amazing. Yes. And I will call them out and say, well, what are you doing to help? What are you doing to lift up other voices? How are you using your privilege to lift up other marginalized voices and to make sure that there's a place that, that they have a place. That's lovely. You know? Yeah. I literally did a show like a month or two ago and I, <laughs> I lost my patience. I really did. I, I, you know, got there early and was going through my set and I, um, and I looked at the board to like, just look at the lineup and I realized that I was the only woman on the show and I turned to the host and the producer and I just point blank asked, am I the only woman on the show? And they were like, oh, yeah, I guess you are. And I just, it flew out of my mouth. And I said, you know what? Do better. Good for you. Do better. And, you know, and then we like joked around because it was like. Awkward. <laughs> I, I created a tense moment. <laughs> I did, but I was pissed. I was pissed, you know? And not only that, like I have to like navigate sexual harassment within that and like it's it's just it's so unnecessary so anyways that is that is our um, mission that is what we've created we want to create not only a safe space for our comedians uh that are diverse but uh for audiences and we and i i see it from the audience perspective because they come up to me after our shows and they're like oh my God, I've never heard anyone talk about that. Like, that's me. That's happened to me. That's so true. You know, like, oh my gosh, my girlfriends and I talk about that all the time or, you know, and it's just like, it's just more interesting. Well, and it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's very, the, the foresight that you have to know that that's hopefully where the space is going to accelerate towards and that there's going to, if you're on the forefront of that, then you're, as we all should be, you're already ahead of the game and that's going to draw more people in, but it's also inclusion just feels better. It just feels better. Yeah. <laughs> just does. You know, and like, not for nothing, our show sells out almost every month, you know, and that's not me like, you know, blowing smoke up my own ass. It's just like, no, that's legitimately like, it's not even like financially in your benefit to exclude people. That's right. That's right. And if that's your bottom line, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's like, you know, that's like millions of studies have been done about on like broad spectrums of like when countries invest in the education of women that their GDP goes up. It's it's scientific. Well, there's a re- you know that's statistics. There's a reason that Target puts out pride flags every June. It's like that's I don't I doubt it's because corporate really gives a shit about the gay community. I think it's like their bottom line is getting met. Okay, so there's you that. so you have that's amazing and you have a mission attached to your art and that is also amazing. And so so you guys decided to make like how is the format of the theater show, the live show translating into a podcast? So uh, they are different. And that was one of the things that we we wanted to meet the 
need of our audience and the uh, request of our audience to see us together. Because in our live show, Rachel and I um, switch off hosting and headlining. So we'll have about five or six comics in between. And one of us will host and one will headline and we rotate. But we're never on stage together until the end of the show. And we're like, thanks for coming. Get the fuck out. You know. <laughs> um, so... And our audiences who, especially if they know us from like content online or they know us personally as friends, they know that like our banter is fun. You know, like we have a lot of fun. Rachel also has like a very diverse background and like in the arts and and so do I. Like we have very weird histories and and we know a lot of like really cool, weird people. And so those are the people that we're talking to on our podcast and it's uh, it's very sex positive. It's queer. It's spiritual, uh, witchy, if you will. Yeah, we're astrology bitches. Oh no! Oh no! Yeah. I have so many yeah, questions. I oh, I have so <laughs> many. I want to know everything. <laughs> we are, That's and amazing. Rachel is a Reiki master. Like Ooh. we love. Yes, we we're into all that shit. Y'all should know. live out here. What are you doing in New York? You would fit in great out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, isn't that the goal of every New York City performer is to be bi-coastal? So I'm putting it in the universe. There you go. Way Here to put it are. out there. Okay. And just to get, um, so we're going to move on from this section in just a second. So where yeah, where are you originally from and why did you get into comedy? Yeah. So I'm originally from Massachusetts. Uh, I was born in Boston and grew up in a little town outside of Boston until uh, I was like nine. And then I, um, my family moved to Florida um, don't tell anyone. Ooh, rough. <laughs> don't tell anyone on your audience of thousands and millions of people. We have a lot of Florida um, listeners. We love y'all. We're just joking. Hey, just listen, joking. Listen, <laughs> I grew up in Boca Raton. Um, so, you know, it was an interesting, but my whole family is very like Massachusetts and like New England, you know, um, but it was interesting. It was an interesting place to grow up in because it's it, it's also very culturally diverse in South Florida that I felt privileged to experience that, you know, um, and I went to a school that was incredibly diverse. It was part boarding school. Um, so we had students from all over the world that like lived at my middle school, high school. So that's that's where I'm from. And then I you know, I initially came to New York City in 2007 to dance professionally, and I did. So I'm a dancer. And you have amazing arms. I, uh, I wanted to comment on that. When I saw you lift yourself up, I was like, she looks like a ballerina of some kind. But I was like, that's a weird thing to say. Well, I've said it. Yeah, Good job. You. You, would be, you would be correct. All of my training was classical. And then I came to New York and like had to made a hard right. Um, I did shows in Atlantic City, like showgirl shows. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. And then I ended up producing a burlesque comedy show in New York City. Yeah. For a long time. And I, you know, I had like done classes at UCB and I've always been like a huge sketch comedy fan and like such an SNL nerd. So like we um, we had a stand up host. And then I also sort of co-hosted in character. It was very crazy. Um, I had this burlesque character, Kitty Cockpit. So she was like a 1960s stewardess gone rogue. And I and then we would do we would do dance numbers and vocal numbers and sketches like in between. And then the host would our stand up host would um, host the show and keep everything going. And yeah, I feel like you know that was sort of my segue weirdly into stand up 
And I was doing stand-up in character, which I think for most stand-ups, like when you start out, you are kind of in character. 100%. Like you're a weird version of yourself. I even remember like the first time I did stand-up like as myself and I got off stage and I was like, Ew. that was so weird. <laughs> I was like, that was so weird. Like, yep. What was the voice? I was using this weird voice and like... <laughs> It was just so terrible. And I was like, that was terrible. Yeah, I remember. It was really funny, actually. So we we used to have our burlesque show. We had it at Broadway Comedy Club for a long time. And we had it three nights a week, which is totally insane. And that was like for three months. And then we also did a residency at Comics, which was that comedy club on 14th Street, which no longer exists. And when we were there, our host was Joe DeRosa. (laughs) And I had like the kitty cockpit character and we would do like kind of little banter things together on stage. And I sort of like co-hosted in a weird way. And I remember his manager, like after the show, his manager like came to the show and he was like, yeah, you could do stand up. (laughs) And then they were like, but don't, but don't. (laughs) We don't need any more people. (laughs) But they were just like, don't do that to yourself. Like you have other talent, you know. (laughs) And of course, I had to go against that advice. Of course. You know, but it was really, I mean, my intention with stand up initially was just as a writer to mm-hmm. be like, to like hone in on my voice because I was writing sketch comedy and I just, I, I felt it was helpful to me as a writer. Like I really didn't never like set out to like be like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to only be a stand up, um, which I'm still not. But sure. um, anyways, that's that story. Okay, amazing. So then you so you're that gets us up to today. And all right, great. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to move on to the entrees after a quick break. We are back. And now it is time for the entrees. Okay, Kirsten, the way this works is I just hit you with some questions. Uh, They're the same standard questions. Every podcast, the audience loves this part because this is where you get to tell us all the nitty gritty. And I have 6,000 questions about when you were a showgirl. So we'll get to those specifically, but feel free to pop in those stories too. We start with the same question first, always. What was your first job ever where the government was taking taxes out of your income? So some people say babysitting, paper route, whatever. You can say that, but if you can think of, you know, oh, I worked at a cafe at 16 or whatever. That's, that's more what we're asking. Yeah. I, you know, my first service job, I don't remember what the tax situation was because (laughs) I was still in high school. So I think my parents still like filed my taxes as like what there's, so I don't know if it was like 1099 or W2 or what the deal was, but I was a bar mitzvah dancer in South Florida. So I was like the like punch it out girl, like with the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah got that it. was my first, that was my first job. And I dated a lot of DJs in their twenties <laughs> and it was very inappropriate. Um, That's terrible. And, yeah. And it was, it was such a great job for high school. Like I got, I got paid to like dance at parties. That's it was a, so fun. And so for people who have not had the pleasure of going to a bar mitzvah and understanding what you were doing, essentially you're like a hype girl, right? So you're the girl that makes sure people, yeah. So mm-hmm. <laughs> can you explain to our non-Jewish audience or uh, the, <laughs> why that job is rad as hell? Because even if you're insecure, it's the best. Can you explain why? <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> It is such a great job, and I still do them from time to time, which is so funny. Oh, I bet. Um, I'm actually doing one next week. Hilarious. I'll die. So you work with, like, the entertainment company, which is usually, like, at a bar mitzvah. It's at, like, some, like, 
hall, you know, like some event space, usually very <laughs> fancy. I grew up in South Florida. So like Boca Raton, like so many bar mitzvahs, like a huge industry. The entertainment company consists of like the MC, who's like the guy on the mic all night for the party and the DJ. And they, and then they would have dancers and like, we would like hand out party favors. We would have like choreographed, you know, things for the kids to follow along with. And it was so much fun. It was so, so, so much fun. Well, and what I think is so interesting about that particular job is like, you're the same age as essential or around the same age (laughs) as the people you're, yeah, like. They were 12, 13 13 years old. Yeah. So you're like around the same age and you're trying to like, come on, kids, as if you're not a kid. (laughs) Like It's such a weird concept. And then I was going out with the DJs after parties to like clubs that I had no business being in. And because they like would DJ at the clubs and they would get me in. Um, Did your parents know about that piece? When You know what they did? They did. And like. If that's a weird thing to like rationalize, but my parents are 20 years apart. Oh, wow. So they, I think they have a weird cousin, but when I look back at it, I'm like, no, no one out of high school should be picking up a girl from a high school parking lot. Like inappropriate. Absolutely not. That's like, accurate. <laughs> that's accurate. Well, well, we'll brush past that. Okay. So that was your first job. How many customer service specific jobs have you had? And I would argue comedy is customer service. So I feel like you're still in a version of it, huh. but how many? I would you mean, guess? countless thousands, thousands, literally at least hundreds, at least hundreds of different jobs. I t- like the gamut is truly insane from like your run of the mill, you know, um, server, bartender, hostess to bar bar mitzvah dancer to I lasted one day in a job um, checking children for lice. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, Oh, yes, I did. And the moment I saw my first slice, I was out. Did you actually just leave? Your team? <laughs> I literally like left for that day. I was like, okay, um, I think I'm done. And then like, I never, I never answered it. That's like, I feel terrible about it because like they trained me and like took a lot of time in training me. And I literally never answered a phone call text. Or email from them. Like, I was so horrified. I left there like, you know, like paranoid scratching and like, Oh my God. I, I saw a lice jump off a kid's head and I was like, I'm out. No, you did yeah. not. Oh. Yes, in New York City, in the West Village. Wait, we how did checking. you how did you get that job? I worked at a. I was, I mean, another service job. I was um, the receptionist at a hair salon, and one of the girls uh, who was a, sh- a shampooer told me about this job. And listen, it paid fucking hella good. It was sixty five dollars an hour. Like, because who the fuck wants to check nobody kids heads for life? Nobody. No one. Literally the worst job ever. And the company was amazing. Like they had their whole line of like organic, natural, like anti-lice like products. Like and the woman who ran it was like a former model and she was super nice and she was so kind. And I feel horrible to this day for walking out on it. But I literally I couldn't I, I like thought I would be okay with the job and I was not okay with the job. It's tough. Like I just can't. Yeah. It's, it's, it would be like, it would be like someone who sprays for bed bugs. I can't, I cannot do it. And God no. bless, God bless that people do those jobs, but not, not bless. for me either. Not for me. Bless. Yeah. I just, 
that was a level of service I could not provide. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so we've seen the gamut. Any yeah. other weird sprinklies in there of customer service jobs? Yes. You know, there's customer service and then there's service. Mm-hmm. You know, like I worked within service in so many different ways. Um, when I graduated from school, uh, I worked in public relations for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. And yes, and I was like a little like corporate girl in like a suit at like a cubicle. And I did that for two years and wanted to jump out the window. It's too hard. The Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. So I transferred to Ritz-Carlton Central Park to one of their restaurants that they were opening there. It's no longer there as like a hostess and was like making so much more money, which is so funny. I mean, Florida, New York, you know what I mean? (laughs) So, yeah, I did that. And then... I think my last like real service job and it's funny because I still I still do it like I still like bartend at my friend's restaurant like maybe once a week once every two weeks but there's there's a caveat to like well we'll probably get them there's a caveat to which I will work a service job now which was different before I were I also worked the front desk of the spa at Trump Soho Oh, boy. Oh, boy is right. Now, I can tell you some stories. Right now. That will blow your fucking mind. I'm ready. If you're ready to have them recorded, <laughs> girl, I'm here. Let's go. So I, I worked there from 2011 to 2015, which, praise the Lord, was right before I quit literally as Trump announced his candidacy. I was just about to ask. Thank God you were out of there before then. And let me tell you the dirty business that that family is involved in. Okay. Cause I can tell you first fucking hand. So they owned, they had owners, they had like co-owners of the building. One of which was, is like, I think it's called like BlackRock. It's like that. that Ooh, like yeah. Very, you know oh what yes. I'm yes, about? Yes, ma'am. Sure so do. Yeah. I think BlackRock is one of them. And the other one is the Sapir family, which is a Russian oligarch family. And I personally met them like several times because they would come into the spa. And it they are truly everything you would imagine. Like <laughs> it was, I mean, like it, it's not questionable whether Trump is involved in like Russian oligarchies. It's I saw it with my own fucking eyeballs. Like, wow, truly wild. Yeah, truly wild. Those were I worked there for four years, which was about three and a half years too long. (laughs) I was just gonna ask that too. (laughs) Oh, my God, it was well working at a high end hotel. You know, and it's funny because when I worked on the administration side of it in public relations, you know, you're not you're not um, front of house. So, like, I was sort of enamored with the the ideas of of service. Like, I I I loved it. Like, I loved like the culture. And now it makes me sick. Like mm-hmm. now it now because you, you see it from the other side, from like the the front facing side and you know like the customer is always right it's like disgusting like throw up you know like and just having to be that person to to receive yeah. <laughs> those yeah. kinds of guests yeah and 
Oh yeah, I have so many stories. That would that's probably my service job that has the the most crazy stories. Can you think of was, anything offhand? I mean, the the Russian oligarch oh, shit is pretty crazy, but can you think? Oh, of- absolutely. So there was this one time. So like we were spa, so we offered all these like spa services, and it was very like international hotel it's in soho new york can i interrupt for just just for people who don't know new york so soho that neighborhood is can you can you just describe it for the non-new york audience uh south of houston soho (laughs) is a very like high-end neighborhood loft apartments million dollar apartments very shishi like you go you literally get off the subway there and it's just like models everywhere like there's a lot of film there's a lot of photo studios a lot of models, just so many just models. models. Yeah, it's this it's this really weird area of New York, but very high end. At the time that I worked at Trump Soho, it was like kind of the hotel to be at. Like we had a lot of celebrity guests. Um, I met a lot of my comedy idols and act very, acted very weird around them. <laughs> um, like I'm not a starstruck person, but when you meet like your comedy idols, it's different. Like. And that was the other thing, too, just to, like, touch on my caveat with working in service now. I will not work a service job anymore unless I can be my full self. That's lovely. That's my caveat. And, like, when you work in a high-end hotel like that that's very corporate. You can't do that. You cannot. Nope. You, like, you can't be yourself. And I would push the envelope when it felt comfortable. But for the most part, like, you know, you're expected to kind of be a robot, you know? And... Yeah. So this one story, this one's so great. So we had like lots of, we did like lots of massages and facials. So we had like massage therapists and estheticians. And one of my favorite uh, estheticians was this woman named Marina. Um, and she coincidentally also Russian. She was a tiny <laughs> what? little, yeah, she was this <laughs> tiny little Russian woman. She was so funny. She was just like, so like tiny and adorable and hysterical. We had this guest that you know, when they check in for their appointment, like you can you already know. tell, mm-hmm. you can already tell like mm-hmm. how this is going to go, mm-hmm. you know? And she was like this international guest and she was just very cold and kind of like, you know, like, let's go, let's go, let's go, you know? And like most of our guests. Mm-hmm. And so she had a wax appointment and like in the appointment book, like for waxing, you had to like put every, like you're charged per part like whatever part you're waxing. Yeah. When she booked it, she booked a lot of parts. You know, she, like, she booked the legs. She booked the thighs. She booked she the booked labia. The arm, she booked the nipples. Ma'am. You know, you can, ma'am. Yeah, you can wax it all, honey. You can, you can rip hair off of whatever. Anywhere there's hair. The, okay. For the right price. Yeah, sure. Know? Oh, how much was a nipple so wax? Good. Do you remember the line item? Oh how much God, that I cost? Each body part was like $35. I will like die. Cool. Yes. Like hundreds of dollars to like wax her whole body. Okay. So, so she goes into her wax appointment and I think at one point Marina called downstairs to the desk in the middle of the appointment. And that's always like, Oh, what's happening? Uh-oh. And she called down and I was like, Marina. And she was like, <laughs> and she was like, we're going to need more time. She wants more wicks. And I was like, okay. So I like add more time. And then it's like coming towards like the end of like her appointment time at the end of the night. And I was the only one at the desk. I think it was like a slow night or I was the only one working or whatever. 
And I hear Marina, there was like this long hallway to like get to the locker room and the treatment rooms. And I hear Marina like, <laughs> like coming down the hallway, like, like hoofing it. And I was like, Uh-oh. and so I like step out from behind the desk and I like look down the hall and Marina is like coming for me. And I was like, Marina, are you okay? Oh my God. <laughs> and she was like, I drop off guest in locker room before she come out. You'll need to add everybody to check. <laughs> I want nipple. She make me wax leg four times. She make me wax arm. I wax her chocha. I wax her asshole. You add every part to this check. And I was like, oh my God. And I'm like on the computer, like adding all the things. And like furiously, because this lady's going to come out like any minute to pay her bills. So I have to make sure that her bill is correct. Sure. And so the woman comes out. And, you know, very high-end service. Like, we have, like, a dossier for the check. And you, I print out the check. I put it in the dossier and fold it. And I slide it across the desk. She opens it up. And she goes, what is this? I did not get this waxed. And I was like, I'm sorry? Like, wh- um, which part? I was like, oh. like, Marina. And I'm trying to be, like, delicate about it. And I'm like, so not your labia then? (laughs) Could you point to me on the check which which service you feel you did not receive? Oh, that what a diplomatic way of saying it. Well done, Jesse. Why they hired you, girl? Right? Yeah. Because how am I gonna tell? What am I gonna say? Show me your pussy. Like, show me your fucking. Show me your butthole. Show me your raw chicken pussy that we just ripped all the hair off. You know, like I'm dead. Like bend over. Let me see that that like fresh asshole. Like what could I say? So she was like, she points out. She's like, I did not get this. I did not have this. I did not have this. And I was like. And high-end service, you just got to take it off. Come on. Of course. And then she threatened me. She was like, you need to, like, take it off the bill because I know the owners of the hotel. Fuck off. And I I will, I'll speak with the manager if there's a problem. And, like, so I'm the only one there. Like, I don't even have, I don't even think I had a manager, like, there or something. So, yeah. She basically got, like, free asshole pussy wax, like, she paid for like a fraction of the services that she got. And I always find that so funny. Yes. Because I know what you're about to say. You have in service, rich people. Yes. Or shit. shit. Yes. And that is why they are rich. Yes. And it's so gross. It's so and frustrating. Like, yes. Oh, so gross and frustrating. And I literally like we here's another fun story from that place where I was like, when this happened, I was like, I got to quit because I can't hide it on my face anymore. Like I had no <laughs> poker face. Like my poker face was gone. Like, and then I had, I had also assumed this tactic, which I love. If you still work in service, use this because it's so good. When someone's being a fucking asshole, <laughs> I would use the pause method. Oh, girl. Oh, it's so good. Oh, oh it's so oh, good. It's so good. You know what I'm talking about. Describe it. So Someone does something fucking horrible or says something so off the wall inappropriate to you. Yes. And I would just give them 10 seconds of nothing. <laughs> it's so this, powerful. It's so powerful because oftentimes they panic and backpedal. And 
I remember I, this was like towards the end. Wait, before you tell the story, can we do an act out? Because I'm a real asshole and you're a good actor. Um, Okay. So I'm going to be the client and I'm coming to you and I'm like, yeah, like I not only do, I'm just like not going to pay for this, but also like, I don't like your attitude and I think you're being a bitch. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> I'm dead. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Is there something I can do? <laughs> okay, now you can tell the story. I'm dead. As I'm like, I'm as dead. I'm imagining their Murdering them. Yep, in okay. my head. I'm so sorry. So um, tell the story then. Yeah, you know, and it's just like, that's not healthy. No. Like, that's just not. No. Like, with, with, standing like maltreatment like that yeah. is just not it's not good for your spirit that's right like, I would I drank so much when I worked at that job like I would leave that job and go straight to a bar like I've never done that in my life like I'm not even much of a drinker like at all yep and I would leave that job and have to go immediately to a bar like my nervous system needed to be settled yes needed like yes. to be yeah it was it was crazy so I had this lady, so on our check, and oftentimes in hotels, gratuity is included. So they'll include it on the check. And then, of course, you can adjust it. You can add more. You can do whatever. So for services, it was an automatic gratuity of 17% for the um, service provider. So for the esthetician or the nail technician or, you know, hairstylist, whatever. Which ma- we- uh, massage for New York, Which, that's even kind of low. Like 17% is low. not high. Well, you should add more. Yeah. You should add more. So it was automatic 17% to the service provider. And then it was 1.5% pooled to the house, which was the cleaning staff. So 1.5 of every check was pooled between the like two to three cleaning staff that was working. Was that line I item mean, under the 17% or was that part yeah. of the 17%? All line line items, Got it. the total came... 20. Okay. It came to 20% total automatic gratuity. And then there was 1.5% pooled for the front desk staff. Okay. So whoever was working at the front desk that night, we split 1.5% of every check. Okay. So this lady goes to check out and I, you know, give her the dossier with the bill and I like slide it across the desk and she looks at it and she was like, what's this? And I was like, um, which, which can I, and she was like the the gratuity and I was like yes yeah, so we add 17% to every check but you're welcome to adjust it or add if you like and then 1.5% goes to the house and 1.5% is pulled between the front desk staff and she goes front desk staff what did you do for me <gasps> no no ma'am I literally was my jaw went like I was so basically said to my face that my job is irrelevant. Correct. And I like I'm literally providing you a service right now. Right now. Like I'm literally doing the job that you would tip me for, which is pooled 1.5%. I mean, I think it may have been like a dollar. <laughs> like she was arguing like 50 cents. Allow me to adjust that for you. Fuck off, Kirsten. No, you had to. You have to. You have to. Like that's literally like you have to. 
So then that's so that dollar that she fucking argued. Did she argue about the 17 percent or just the, just the front desk? Just just the front desk. And you had to take that on the chin and take away your own money. Oh, yeah. I had to delete my own money from the job. Ooh, like, girl. That's, that's the level of service that I am not willing to provide. <laughs> and, you know, I it's just it's so gross. It's gross. And it's so it's just so gross. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like it was so you it, that hurt my soul. And that I your your point about what it does to your nervous system is so acute. Again, no one's ever said that, and that is a hundred percent right. And it does it chips away at you in a way that you're not even aware of because it's like the frog in the boiling pot of water. Like you don't step in getting your soul crushed and having a foot on your neck. It's just the foot. It's, it's gradual. It's a gradual. Did you have management that would gaslight you out of those emotions? Like, would you have management that would say to you, like, this is just the job? Like, this is just if you would ever bring it up. Uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't even go to my management about things like that. Like, we can't. would all bitch about clients and stuff. And we would, like, laugh about it. And just, you know, it's like a part of the job. But it was like, I had actually internalized yeah. that, like, yeah. that level of self-worth yeah. almost. Like, I didn't realize how much of it I had internalized. And because, like, I'm, I was... I was at that time, you know, in my, my twenties and part of my thirties, like I was more of a people pleaser. And I have since like done a lot of therapy to not be that. And being a people pleaser allowed me to be good at that job. Yes. Allowed me to be a good employee in the service industry and uh, to my own detriment. And I actually had to learn as an actor to stop doing that. Because when you get into audition rooms and you're just like a like little puppy, just like, what can I do for you? They don't want you're you. You're not bringing your authentic self. Yes. You're not, you're, you're aiming to please instead of doing the uh, work. Instead of doing the work and offering yourself in service of the project. Mm, come on. You know, like, like to be. That's a that's because I believe in like what's ironic about it is that like a, a tenant of my work as a performer is to be of service. Mm. Like that the irony of that is not lost on me, but it's such a different. I want to be at of service, not at my own expense. Oh come on, Kirsten! Come on, Kirsten! I, yeah, right? Yes. I mean, I want to yes. be, I want to be of service as my authentic self. And in a way that enriches me. Yes. Um, not in a selfish way, but in a way that is uh, provides self care, and um, that is like aligned with my values and aligned with like how I want to present myself in the world. Like shout out to like the service job that I do. I work at my friend's uh, restaurant. Like maybe once a week, maybe like once every two weeks. And it's really cool. Like she got an opportunity to be part owner of a space during the pandemic. And she's a dancer, singer. She's in a band called Sunshine and the Fox. She's like incredibly Subasa. She's amazing. So, uh, and we wanted to, like my friends and I, all performers, we all perform together as like dancers and, you know, uh, musicians and stuff. And we all wanted to help her to make this restaurant a success. And so like, it's like, we call it the peach pit because like we all work there and like I'm Kelly Kapowski and it's I like, it's it. crazy. although I don't think they worked at the peach pit, but it's, it's that vibe. And 
what's really lovely about it is number one, she's incredibly um, understanding about our performance schedules and like allowing us to, you know, do our thing and find, you know what I mean? And then the other thing is that I can fully be myself at that job, fully. And people fucking love it. Like Memory Lane, look it up, look up the Yelp reviews in New York City, Memory Lane. That restaurant like has the most amazing reviews. It's like the staff there is amazing. It's a party. Like it's it has such a vibe because we're all creative people and we're bringing our full creative self to that job. So I think it's ironic that so many of these like high-end service jobs want you to be a robot when in fact being your full self actually provides more of an experience than being this like weird corporate robot, you know? So it's just so interesting. Well, and it's, I mean, you're bringing up so many fantastic points that make customer service hard is that it is so much about suppressing your shininess if you're a shiny person. And most, a lot of creative professionals are shiny. And so it's like, no, no, dull the shine, toe the line. That's your whole thing. And we don't realize how that does affect us in the room for auditions or in when we try to go home and then be creative after being having a foot, a foot on our neck oh. for eight hours. Like you can't. There's no space. Yeah. So, yeah. so was there ever a moment? So I know you said, I don't, I don't want to just focus on this job and I'm sorry that I have so many questions about it. It's just fascinating no, 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 it's to me. It's very interesting. It, it is was a time in my life that's hilarious. So how did, so I know you said that, you know, that there was an uptick in the drinking, but like for four years, how did you, was like, how'd you take it on the chin for four fucking years with all these rich entitled oh. people? It was, um, you know, my boyfriend at the time also worked in service. So it was like, or like halfway through. And like, so we sort of had that connection with each other. You know, it's so, there is this fallacy that if you're a performer and you're like, you know, an artist that you should have a restaurant job or a service job. And I can tell you that when I finally figured out that that's not true and that there's other jobs that I can make way more money and have a way more flexible schedule, that was freedom for me. And it works for some people. Like some people are able to do it. Like Mickey, my, my ex who I love dearly worked in restaurants for years. And he worked with, when he lived in LA, he worked at the four seasons with Sebastian. Sebastian Maniscalco. I was going to guess that. That's so funny. I love him. Yeah. And, and Mickey used to cover him when he would step out to, to go stuff. to the comedy store. I love it. Do it. So like some people Got you. make it work. Yeah, they do. And then I think for most of us, it doesn't work. Yeah. And you either become a lifer, you get sucked into the industry or it just eats away at your soul. Like there's a lot of, a lot of addiction in the service industry, you know, because I think it's, it was very damaging to my nervous system. It was yeah. very abusive. It was absolutely abusive and abusive work environment. Uh, the thing that actually, what is the expression? The, the, the straw that broke the camel's, camel's back. back. Yeah. Yeah. The straw that broke the camel's back for me was in 2014, my father got very ill and passed away pretty quickly. And it was, it was the kind of thing where like, I got the phone call from my brother while I was at work uh, and no one ever calls my work. Like, I don't even know where he found the number. And he called me and he was like, you have to come home. And I closed the doors 
Yep. I like yep. the last once the last person left, I locked all the fucking doors and I got in a cab to the airport. I purchased a ticket on my on the work computer, got in a cab straight to the airport, cried the whole way. And I was lucky that I was able to be with my dad for four days in the hospital and like be there for my family and like provide that support and have that time with him. And at that time, that year, New York City had just paid the New York City sick pay laws. And the New York City sick pay laws include care of immediate family members. So if you don't know about the law, it was a law that that allowed part-time workers to, to have sick pay. So you accrue one hour of sick pay for every 40 hours worked. So it's a way for people to like not go to work sick or be able to care for their sick kids that are home from school or a sick parent. And it was the first year that it was there. And, you know, and all of the businesses that like, there's caveats, like they didn't want it to affect small business. So like you have to have at least 50 employees in order to uh, be eligible for, you know, to have to like pay into this. And I uh, applied for it so that I didn't lose the money while I was, you know, so I wasn't like broke when I got back from New York and I was with my dad for four days and then he passed and I had sent the paper or the email to be like, Hey, I'd like to use my sick pay hours to cover the shifts that I missed. And they argued it. Fuck off. Fuck off. They argued it and I flew off the handle. Good. I flew off the handle and I sent screenshots of the law and was like, this is the law and you're going to pay me. And my fucking dad just died. Right. And it was gross. It was so gross. And it was like a level of corporate culture that I was like, oh, no, ma'am. They don't give a fuck about me. Not a single fuck. They don't give a single fuck about me or what I'm doing. And like, they don't care about me at At all. all. And they caved and they paid me. And then when I got back, I was like the most senior person at the desk. And it was before the holidays. And I was like, hey, listen, I, you know, normally in a hotel, you have to work every holiday. So I, I didn't ask for Christmas off, but I asked for Thanksgiving so that I could be with With your family. Yeah. My dad had just died. Like I wanted to be with my family for Thanksgiving And they tried to say no. And I was like, I went so apeshit that I was like, oh, this, like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to get through the holidays because the holidays were a huge moneymaker. So I was like, I'm going to get my money and I am the fuck out of here. Like, just so gross and inhumane. And like, it was just so, yeah. Yeah, that there's a hundred things I want to say and I could talk to you for six hours, but I just feel like (laughs) the the pain of that when you don't even have the bandwidth to try and be able to shower because grief is choking you out and then you have to find the fucking energy to argue with your job to follow the law that exists on paper in ink and black and white and you have to like girl, I don't know how you didn't burn the whole goddamn building down like that. That's insane. So, you know, so it's like when we're looking at, you know, what's happening culturally in the U S right now with like the great resignation, quote unquote, and like 
companies unionizing like this is why this is this why. is why and i am on the side of the worker i'm on the side of unions i'm a proud sag after a member like i you know this is why because we need common fucking decency humanity that like you need to like People need to be, I mean, like, and we saw it in the pandemic Yeah, that like people were going to work sick with COVID because they didn't have a fucking choice because mm-hmm. they, if they didn't go, they didn't make money. They couldn't feed their family, you know? So it's like, and, and like not having universal healthcare, like, I just can't believe that we're still here. Like we're yeah. still here. Yeah. Like, I can't believe we're still fucking talking about this, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like that was nature's way of like saying, oh my God, like, I mean, there's, I could, I could go off, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring it back. What did, so in that four years, would you just, so you had a boyfriend that you could go to and you guys could commiserate and you, you know, there was a nearby bar. Was there ever like, did you think constantly about like, I'm going to walk out of here or was it mostly like you had numbed out so hard that you were like, I'm just going to keep going because the money's good enough that I, and they'll work with my like dance schedule or my acting schedule. Oh, and they didn't, they did not. So then that was the thing that like, they didn't give a fuck about like my performance schedule. Like I did have a manager previous to that for a couple years. Amanda, I love you, Amanda, Amanda Schmiggy. She was one of the best, she was one of the best managers ever. And I loved her and she was so supportive of me. And, you know, even with that, it was, even with a great manager, it was, soul sucking. Yeah. Like just the service part of it and withstanding like abuse from clients and guests. Like it was, it was so rough. Like I just, yeah, like there, you just, like you said, you have to suppress so much and suppression turns into disease. Yeah, it does. Whether that's alcoholism or some other kind of like, when you suppress emotions Mm -hmm. like that, the body remembers You know, the body keeps the score if you know that book. So like if you are at a job that you are suppressing who you are, your basic human rights, like what your self-worth, get out because you will pay. Mm -hmm. You will pay. Mm -hmm. And I understand that that's like easier said than done. You know, for a lot of people there, it's just like next to impossible, you know. But fuck that. That's why I think that's, you know, that's why we're seeing this great resignation because people are like, for what? Yeah. For what? Yeah. Like, you know, all of these like, you know, um, workers during the pandemic, like grocery store workers and people working in like Amazon warehouses and not getting hazard pay and like not being even paid like a fair fucking wage. And they kept the world running. Correct. They kept us all and fed. What did we do for them? Yeah. Right. And what did we do for them? Fucking nothing. So like you're surprised that they quit. And that they're like, fuck this. I got to figure something else out. Like, no, you know, it's not, it's not worth it. So did you ever in those, in any of your jobs, but specifically at the Soho house, did you ever bite back to a customer or did you always just say, let me take that off for you, you know, or whatever? Yeah, no, I was a good employee. I was like such a good girl, you know, and that was like something I really had to uh, unlearn. Yeah. And I think that it was so healthy for me to unlearn that. That's right. And and I feel very um, confident in all of the jobs that I have and the companies that I work for currently that I am allowed. I, I have the agency hmm. to stick up for myself and to be my own advocate. And 
And I can say that about all the jobs that I work for now, that I am, they never, my jobs never put me in a position, service or not, where I have to like sacrifice my own well-being or dignity for the client, for the guest. So, so it's possible. It is possible. You've attracted that and you've done the work to get out of that. So was there ever a moment since you were, you know, you're now a reformed people pleaser, but that was back in, you worked there from 2011 to 2015. Has there ever been a moment where anybody's asked to speak to your manager in any of these customer service positions because they didn't like interacting with you or they wanted to escalate to try and get a bigger discount? I'm sure there was. That happened all the time of like, I'm going to speak to the manager because they like wanted to get something taken off their bill usually. And like, usually I would just be like, I'll just do it. Like, yeah, no need to escalate. Get out of my face. Yeah. Just like literally go away, yep. you know? So generally you're um, like, they probably did, but you just took care of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, every job that I've ever, almost every job that I've ever had, pretty much every job that I've ever had, <laughs> I'm always put in like quickly put into a managerial position, quickly put have, into yeah. like a position or dance captain. And it's just like, you know, because I do have that ability to mm-hmm. like take it to the chin and problem solve. And so it makes me a good employee in a lot of ways, but I've, I have changed as a person so that it's not at my own expense. Sure. Well, let's pivot yeah. from that job or just in general is, can you think of the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst you were on the clock? Oh my God. I mean, so I work, I still work gigs as like a dancer Okay. and, um, like private events, like you know, birthday parties, weddings, you know, whatever, big corporate events. And we have done some weird, (laughs) weird shit that like clients ask for. One time it was this corporate party and it was like the CEO's birthday and like so corporate. They were like, he loves Diet Coke. Like that was the most interesting (laughs) factoid about him. And they're like, he loves Diet Coke. So we're going to do something special for him. So myself and my friend Taylor... Uh, were hired to be dancing Coke cans. And we did a choreographed dance to Ice Ice Baby as Diet Coke cans. Okay. And that's like not even nearly the weirdest gig that I've done. Like, I wish I could think I've been like body painted. I was like body painted, like fully naked and like only covered in body paint, like for many, many gigs. That's got to be so hard. How do you, how do you? It's really fun. I mean, I love to be naked. Like I'm such like You're a, a dancer. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. A couple of Halloweens ago, I was hired for a gig and I just had to lay in a bathtub and I was completely covered in red glitter. So I was like, it was like blood, but it was pretty. It was, it's wild. It's wild. So yeah, there's those. And that like, we've done some real, God, I wish I could remember some of the weirder ones. Cause there's some really weird ones that we've done, but well, that's pretty, I mean, you've, you've nailed it. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) do what was the, so since you've never told a customer to fuck off or like, you've never told the line that way, did you have like, besides the 10 second pause, did you have something you would say that in your head, you're like, I just told you to fuck off, but you don't even know. I just told you to fuck off, like in a very polite sort of corporate way. Or did you really just like take it off and not say anything snarky? I think the, the pause was the technique sure. that I used quite a bit, which was so fun. It's a great one. Um, And then sometimes there were like, there was like corporate speak for yeah. things. Yeah. And I can't remember them. I think I've blacked them out. Good for you. I, I, 
traumatized. I'm so traumatized by it. I don't think I have. You know, I did. I did work as a stripper for a year at one point. How which was that? I would say is a service job. I've had another one. I've had another dancer that chose that route yes. on my podcast, and I won thousand percent agree with you. Yeah. So it's absolutely a service job. You are providing providing a service and that service is a fantasy. And most of the time you're a listening ear. You're more like a therapist than anything else. Um, and I, I have very strong feelings about that service job. I think that sex workers and strippers are incredibly important. It's I work. They are, are creating a safe space for men to express themselves, to express their fantasies, not only men, anyone. And you know, oftentimes it was just a safe place for people to just say who they were mm. and 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 be proud of themselves in a in a way that that I feel like I was able to be authentic because it was transactional. Because it was transactional. Because you are paying for my time. You are paying to talk to me. I was fully authentic. You could show me pictures of your new townhouse and I will be like, wow, that's beautiful. You must have worked really hard to get that. Like, tell me more about that. And that's totally authentic. And that man might not be able to do that for, he might not be able to do that to just some woman in a bar because that woman might be like, Ugh, yeah. you know, you're bragging, like you're being tacky, you know? Whereas in this transactional relationship, I can really hold space for this person and, you know, hold space for their fantasies, sexual or not, you know, like what, whatever fantasy I'm creating for them. And in that environment, I was able to say, go fuck yourself. And that is so empowering yeah, and amazing. Is. And I, I worked in an awesome club that was um, managed by women. And the bouncers always had our back. They were always keeping an eye out. And they always, you know, I felt very like protected and looked out for. And that was a very empowering job for me, actually, because I could say, fuck you. I don't want to talk to you or you're being rude and no, thank you. Or just walk away. So like, yeah, shout out to the sex workers. Hell yeah. You real, real. Yeah. And did you, did you, were you ever scared in that job? I know you said the bouncers had your back, but was there ever a situation where you got uh, afraid? No, no, I was never afraid. That's amazing. Um, I felt very safe in that environment. Honestly, there were other environments in service where I felt more unsafe. You know, like there's horror stories in like spas of like people being sexually inappropriate and like, you know, flashing or like, you know, hitting on therapists or like, you know, pulling their dick out and like and having to like take that to the face. Pardon yep. the expression. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. You know, and in the same breath, sex workers and strippers also need workers' rights. They also, like, I totally support them Me unionizing too. and having the same rights that everyone else does in a workplace. Because it's work. Because it's work. And they should be protected like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And it's a service. And if you think that stripping or being a sex worker is selling your body, but you don't think that being a coal miner or an NFL football player is selling your body, you don't have a problem with selling the body. You have a problem with female sexuality. Bingo. And also, so. if you, just because you think something's morally reprehensible or you have an objection, doesn't mean people aren't still going to do the thing or reach out for the thing or want the thing. So you don't, your opinion doesn't change the facts of what the economy is based upon. 
Oh, I could right. scream forever about and this. And people have their own boundaries, even Fine. like within within sex workers. Like, no, did I did I exchange sex for money? No, I didn't. But I provided a service within the boundaries that I'm comfortable, you know, and and anyone who does that, that's their prerogative. Correct. I don't have a moral judgment of that. It's just not within my boundaries. Sure. Girl, I could have you on for six hours. We're going to have to talk to your publicist <laughs> and get you on again. Yeah, girl. OK, <laughs> so, OK, do you personally tip? And if so, how much? Absolutely. I am like a, a gross tipper. I have like I friends that cut will get upset with me that they're like really we have to leave that much and i'm like yes yes we do 20 <laughs> percent is the fucking minimum okay if not 25 percent do you ever oh, not God. tip are you ever in a situation where you're like i will not put a dollar down i if i like if it's like a cash only situation and i didn't bring enough cash and i was an idiot and i will be thinking about that for years that's I'll the only it's the only context beating myself up yes absolutely so someone someone's rude fully fully rude to you treats you like shit you're still tipping they had a bad day good for you they God. had a bad day everybody has a bad day i don't know their story i don't know how much bullshit they have put up with that day and you know I'm not evolved enough. At, Good at for least you. they'll go home with some money. Yeah. At least they'll have some money. Okay. You know? And then yeah. two more questions so. in this section. Were you ever fired from a customer service job? I don't think so. Yeah, it's so. a no. Okay. I figured not. I don't think I've ever been fired. No. Amazing. And then can you give me either uh, a story about the worst customer you ever had to deal with or an archetype for who would be the worst customer? Yeah, it's usually uh, a white cis straight man in a colorful short and a boat shoe. Uh, yeah. They're the fucking worst. A boat shoe. I know Karen's get a lot of shit, but the boat shoe, forget it. The boat shoe is truly the worst. Why? Uh, Why? What, what makes that human the worst? You know, I've just, it's just privilege. Word. It's white male privilege and it's entitlement. And it's just, gross. It's gross. you know, and even without that, like physical description, like my, some of my worst experience have worst experiences in service have certainly been with straight cis white males. And, you know, yes, a lot of Karens, a lot of white women. Ooh. I mean, white women really got to like get their shit together. So, okay. yeah, yeah, that's the descriptor. Okay. And I would say probably that lady who made me take the 1.5% off. That was probably my worst experience. She can fuck right off. Yeah. All right, great. Yeah. Well, now we're going to move on to the good stuff. We hoped you saved room for dessert. Okay, this is a nice section. What's the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? You know, here's the thing. This is why I think like I'm I'm so adamant about tipping because at the end of the day, money talks. Money talks. And, you know, if you're working a service job, you ain't rich. I don't care what, you know, there are very, very few service jobs where people are like actually making good money. They exist. They do. Like I know bartenders that make six figures for Woo! sure. Come on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and bless, you know, but uh, they're still working on tips. So there used to be, you know, it's like the nicest thing that's like from the heart. I, I can't really think of one, <laughs> but there used to our GM and I can't remember his name. 
whatever, you know, our GM at Ritz Carlton Central Park when it existed used to, whenever he would come in, just have a stack of hundred dollar bills and anyone he interacted with, he gave a hundred dollar bill. Bless him. And that to me was like, you get it. You do. You get it. You get it that like we work really hard and we do it to make your job easier and to make this like a viable business and so that it's for everybody and money talks. That's right. You know, money talks. Okay. Yeah. What's the best tip you've ever gotten at any of your customer service jobs? I did have a guy at the strip club who just kept giving me hundreds just to talk to him. Hell yeah. So sweet. And we had this beautiful kismet connection. Oh my God. He was such a sweet man. And like, I ended up like giving him a dance, but he, he was like, you don't have to like if you want to, and I'm a dancer. So I love to dance. Like, I want to so dance, <laughs> but he was so polite and he was like, no, you don't have to, you know, but we talked for a while and it turned out that like, he had just come from like this architectural uh, conference, this contest, like that was in Spain. That was like the best architectural interior design contest in the world. And weirdly enough, I was also working a job at the time at this like re- as a performer at this really beautiful hotel where we were like immersive talent. And he was like, I know you, I know you. And I was like, you don't fucking know me. Like, you know what I mean? But we were having this great conversation. I had just broken up with my boyfriend. He had just broken up with his girlfriend. So we were sort of like having this like beautiful heart to heart and and like really getting to a place where it was like, we know we both know it's for the best, you know, like. And I'm trying to allow myself to like have my feelings and my grief and like be sad, but also like grateful for the experience. Blah, blah, blah. We have this beautiful conversation and turns out the hotel that I worked at won that contest and he had seen pictures of me in the presentation. I will die. And it was like such kismet. Yeah. And the whole time he was talking to me, he was just like, I know that you're, he just kept saying, I know that you're at work right now. So I want to pay you for your time. And he would just give me more money. And I was like, more of that, please. That's amazing. You know, And like, that was something being a stripper taught me a very valuable lesson about any job and about our participation in the economy and, and cap, but just more energetically that you're, your energy is your currency. Come on. So your energy is your currency and you will you will you will have abundance that is parallel to that. Yes, you ma'am. Know? Yes, ma'am. And I and I have to remind myself all the time because there's sometimes you get shitty gigs and shitty nights and like I have to remember that like it is my responsibility, my ability to respond to my circumstances, to my environment. It is my responsibility with with which energy I choose to do that. And whatever I put out into the world, into the world comes back to me. So, you know, it better don't fuck it up. You know, (laughs) (laughs) know? don't be putting out like toxic fucking negative shit. You know, so I try to, and I'm not perfect. You know, I try, I try to remind myself of that and to, to shift myself and to be like, all right, how do I shift out of this mood? Mm. You know, well, um, and at the same time, be my own advocate. Come on. Don't be a doormat. Um, well, the, no. the next question in this section is what's the best lesson you've learned? Sounds like that was that, but that's it. Okay. That's absolutely it. And then yeah. last question in this section, what's one piece of advice that you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? 
Just treat them like a human being. Come on. The Just number of times this comes up. Why do we have to keep saying this? Yes. Yes. Just be a human being and try to see their perspective from a human perspective and have empathy. And, you know, to be honest, that goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had experiences. I had a bride once who came to the spa. <laughs> it's actually so funny. She got a spray tan and had like a physical reaction to it. No. Like for her wedding and like had like a rash and it was like fucking horrible and she was sobbing and crying and she was clearly so stressed as most brides are and i think the bridal industry is fucking horseshit agreed it should die but but nonetheless she was having a really hard time and i literally went over to her i got out from behind the desk and i was like we're gonna make this better and we're gonna I promise we'll make this better. We're going to like, I don't know what I offered. I, I think I like, I was like, we have like an exfoliating treatment and like we have this lotion that we can give you or whatever the fuck it was. And I was like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and I talked to her like a fucking human, human being, being who's having a meltdown. Who's like, they clearly it wasn't about us. That's like right. clearly it was about everything. And this was the, the straw that broke, broke the cam- her camel's back. Yep. And she just needed someone to fucking listen to her yeah. and like, and to say like, it's going to be okay. And she was so gracious after that. Like, you know, yeah. sometimes you got, sometimes, you know, it works both ways. Sometimes you really got to like appeal to the humanity in that person when they're being rude, Yeah, you know? Well, yeah. we didn't get to talk about your uh, job being uh, like a, a sh- in the showgirl show or like some <laughs> version of that. And I'm so like, so the, we're just going to have to have you back on. That's just where we, we're, we'll just oh spend time God, talking about that. that. Um, I could talk to you for days about yeah. that and, and the intersectionality of service with performance. And like, I used to work on a tour bus as like a comedian. It was fucking crazy. Like okay, I'm writing all this yeah. down. All right. Well, oh my God. Yeah. Comedian, uh, well, I'm going to, I'll just read out to your publicist we're gonna have to have another day because there's too much to talk about i I love it i would be delighted i could talk to you for days well this Um, is lovely yeah yeah it's a really you know it's a really interesting thing and i hope i hope lots of people listen to your podcast and um i'll keep it on the dl but congratulations thank you i appreciate you and this will air there so yeah i appreciate it and before we wrap up though i want to make sure people can get in touch with you so when's your yeah. next live show i know we you don't know when this is going to air and you said first thursday yeah, no, that, uh it's the second, second thursday sorry of second every month at the comedy shop in new york city uh at eight o'clock p.m so we have uh our show tonight and then we have July 14th is our next show. And that will actually be our podcast launch party. Okay. So we are having our regular show and then doing a launch party. Uh, Rachel and I are double headlining that night, which will be really fun. And then we're going to have a wild raucous party afterwards to celebrate the launch. And uh, we will be in uh, at Pilgrim House Provincetown, uh, August 13th at 9 p.m. And at Laugh Boston, August 18th. <laughs> okay. That's perfect. But that is the boss bitch show. You can Google all that stuff. You can find me on Instagram at Kizziko, K I Z Z Y K O, and our show at boss bitch show. And it's the boss bitch show podcast on all of your streaming services. 
and you'll see a cute little cartoon of Rachel and I. Well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here at Service from Hell directly, send us your receipts to servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you, Sirius, for having us on. We love being on She's So Funny. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thanks, Kirsten. This was lovely. Really appreciate oh your time. God, thank you. And what a delight. Thank you so yeah. much. We're going to have you back on. You were lovely. All right, folks. Find oh Kirsten everywhere. <laughs> well, thanks, folks, for listening. Good night. Good night.